This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, this is the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast from Literary Hub, where we believe that every issue in your social media feed or on the evening news has already been tackled somewhere in literature. I'm Whitney Terrell, the author of the novel, The Good Lieutenant. And I'm Vivi Ganeshanathan, also known as Suki, the author of the novel, Brotherless Night. So this is an episode that our current interns at the University of Missouri-Kansas City chose, and we are covering something a little different today, which is the literature of QAnon. We must be using an extremely loose definition of literature, like do online well, that's posts. That's very snooty of you to say. I yes, I'm a yes. I you know are online posts and YouTube videos literature. Is that what we're talking about these days? I maybe our interns feel that way. My sons particularly feel that way. Um, but there are also a surprisingly uh, a surprising number of books that come from the grifters and people within the QAnon world. Um, books on how to deal with, and they're also serious books, like the one we're going to be talking about, but there are books on how to deal with family members who get sucked into QAnon and literature that informed and misinformed more accurately some of the core beliefs within that conspiracy theory. So there's a whole literary backdrop here. So for our listeners who are not terminally online, um, QAnon is the anti-Semitic cult-like grand conspiracy that says elites drink children's blood where Donald Trump is a messiah-like figure who's going to bring, quote, the storm that writes all their perceived wrongs of the world. Do I have all of that? Did I get everything? Yeah, I mean, there's some other stuff, you know, space lasers causing wildfires in California. Tom Hanks is a pedophile. Vaccines have microchips. And there's like, you know, it goes on and on. Um, yeah, but you're, you're in the ballpark. So it's like Thomas Pynchon, but on the right. I don't think Thomas Pynchon would appreciate that, but... Probably QAnon wouldn't either. Fortunately, we do have someone who knows everything there is to know about QAnon, and that person is Will Summer, who's been covering QAnon in its dark corners of the internet since it started. Will Summer is a politics reporter for The Daily Beast and the co-host of the podcast Fever Dreams. His work covering QAnon and other conspiracy theories has been featured in multiple documentaries, including HBO's Q, Into the Storm. He's the author of Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America which is a HarperCollins book that just came out in February. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So your book opens up with a sort of step-by-step. -step. I wrote in the script TikTok, but then I was like, I didn't want to get a TikTok involved <laughs> in this. But uh, a step-by-step -step explanation of how QAnon got started. Uh, could you give our listeners a brief gloss on the high points just to sort of get them situated in time? 
Absolutely. So in October 2017, this figure named Q starts posting on this anonymous message board called 4chan. Uh, and Q is a, we don't know Q's identity, but but Q's supporters come to believe that it's someone close to Donald Trump, maybe uh, his social media guy, Dan Scavino, maybe it's Don Jr. Um, and they think Q is posting coded messages to sort of alert us to the world as it really is. And so that Q pops up and he says, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton will be arrested by the end of the month, for example. And so these messages spin out and sort of create this whole worldview and this conspiracy theory, uh, which briefly summed up is that the world is controlled by a satanic pedophile cabal featuring everyone from Oprah Winfrey to Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton to Tom Hanks, and that these people eat, drink children's blood and participate in satanic rituals and eat children. Uh, and that the the second half of that is that Donald Trump is going to take these people down. There's going to be this big moment called the storm when some of the people I mentioned go to Guantanamo Bay and the rest of us live in a sort of utopian Trump dictatorship. So, you know, it's a lot. Even that is a lot. Um, and, and QAnon gets much crazier than that. But but that is that sort of sums up uh, what they believe. Oh my God, the high points, um, the cliff, the cliff. <laughs> well, notes, see, it sounds will. so dumb when you describe it. They have spent so much time not saying what it actually is. Is sort of what I think that it's like the the literary device of like actually not only hinting at that bad stuff. When you summarize it, it sounds so insane. Exactly. I mean, they're very when you when I interview QAnon people at rallies and stuff, they say, "Well, I'm just interested in the corruption." And I say, "Well, what do you mean by the corruption?" They say, "All right, you know, let me tell you about the mole children, stuff like that." And so, uh, you know, that's certainly been my experience. So I'm just like, when you're, of course, when you're reporting on this, you have to, I don't know, like not exactly keep a straight face, but sort of like, right. You have to give us that whole gloss, like pretty straightforwardly. Is this, there sounds like a distinctive reporting challenge. It is. It is. I mean, certainly, you know, you don't want to be just constantly reacting and saying, you know, well, that's just ridiculous. I mean, even though, you know, the, the book opens with me interviewing a woman at January 6th who is saying things like, you know, I'm interested in rescuing children, I believe, are held in tunnels deep underground and all this stuff. Um, and so I say a lot of things like, well, that's interesting, or I've never thought about it that way. Uh, and, you know, you kind of just write it down. And then afterwards, you sort of have to lock into that mindset. And, you know, for me, one of the interesting challenges of, of this job is sort of following these ideological strands. And when, you know, ultimately these people are often sort of playing in a land of make-believe. I mean, I think about these QAnon factions that will say, you know, the people who think John F. Kennedy Jr. is still alive, they're ridiculous. You know, we're the serious evidence-based QAnon believers. Uh, but then, you know, it, so, so they have these sort of fascinating disagreements, but then it results in things like January 6th or these murders or all, all, all these just bizarre things. And so for me, it's been, um, it's a very interesting sort of thing to follow. Yeah. And, and it is actually, as you say, really serious. And, and in your book, um, you note that Hunter S. Thompson's fear and loathing in Las Vegas plays a role in a core tenant of QAnon. And we are a podcast that claims that everything you see in your social media feed has already been written about in literature. So our antenna went up at that reference. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, this is really interesting. So uh, a core part of QAnon belief is that, you know, why is this cabal? Why do they want to control the world? What are they doing? And, and it is that they believe that these world elites are sexually torturing children in satanic rituals because this is the only way to get children to produce this substance called adrenochrome, which they sort of drain from their brains. Uh, and again, millions of people believe this. <laughs> um, that they, they I'm, learning, drain... I'm learning to keep my face straight. 
Exactly. <laughs> you're, you're kind of in a situation like I am. I feel like I'm in the QAnon believer role here. So they they think that essentially this this substance is like the fountain of youth and that you can, you know, this is, is uh, you know, why our celebrities, uh, they don't have wrinkles and stuff. Now, obviously, this is called Botox, right? But they, they, in their case, they believe this is adrenochrome. But adrenochrome is a real thing, and it is, um, it's a substance that comes from just oxidizing uh, adrenaline. It, it, it's sort of a useless kind of thing to have. But the Hunter S. Thompson connection here is that in the 60s and the 70s, this was a – because it sounds cool, right? It sounds like the ultimate drug or something. Um, it, it, in Fear and Loathing on Las Vegas, he is you know, with his lawyer, and the lawyer is giving him all these drugs, and he says, here's adrenochrome. You know, you this is this crazy drug, and you can only get it from a pedophile, uh, and so that is sort of the origin of this idea of adrenochrome as this kind of satanic drug uh, that's popular with pedophiles, and, and this kind of the ultimate drug, and and that is where they get it from. And so, to the extent that if you watch a YouTube clip of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, it's now all these people saying, you know, Q was right, you know, this is this is real. I do really love that Hunter S. Thompson is somehow the source for myth for this. Um, yeah. Speaking of conspiracy theories, I did have like a an ex-wife of my uncle dated him for a while. So we have I have my that's my Hunter X, the Hunter S. Thompson <laughs> connection. He was a crazy guy. Uh, drinking the blood of children, uh, hard to trans how to make a good transition. Uh drinking the blood of children sounds like a centuries-old anti-Semitic, uh, like the centuries-old anti-Semitic blood libel myths where supposedly rabbis drank the blood of children and the grand global conspiracy aspect has similar themes to discredit the discredited protocols of the elders of Zion. Speaking of other precursor, not exactly literary texts to this, you know, it's a fake pop propaganda document that's supposed to be the meeting of the uh, minutes of a meeting where Jewish leaders conspire to control the world. So is QAnon just a form of repackaged anti-Semitism for a new generation, or is there more to it than that? I, I think there's more to it, but really at its core, it it, it does have this sort of anti-Semitic animus at, at its center. I mean, you know, you mentioned here the Jewish blood libel, which was something I was not familiar with until I, I started reporting on QAnon, this idea dating back to, I think, the 13th century that, that rabbis were kidnapping Gentile children and, and basically grinding them up and using their blood for matzah bread. Uh, and so this idea is, is now we sort of go to the tw 21st century where we have this idea that people like George Soros, these other prominent Jewish people are once again drinking children's blood. And, and you know, this is not just a sort of an echo of it. I mean, often, you know, you kind of have varying degrees of QAnon, quote unquote, evidence. But when they start saying, you know, here, here's the proof of it, it often is that they dig up the protocols of the Council of Elders of Zion or they some neo-Nazis writings from the 70s that, that refer all the way back to, to the Middle Ages. Um, and so the, the, it really is, I think, before you kind of really start digging in, they don't say, you know, this is about Jewish people, but, you know, they sort of pitch themselves as this non-racist uh, uh, patriotic movement. Uh, but when when you start getting deeper into it, that's really what it's based on. So speaking of anti-Semitism, I, I had, you guys, Tsugi is going to be surprised at this transition. Uh, I was thinking last night about high modernist poets like T.S. Eliot, also rumored to be anti-Semite, but, or Ezra Pound. Well, certainly. Or, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, Wallace Stevens guy, usually men, but not only, I mean, you could, you could talk about Sylvia Plath's work this way, where like the whole cool thing about the poetry was that it was hard to understand and had weird illusions. And there's a whole backstory and you had to know the Bhagavad Gita and you had to know all this sort of stuff to understand the wasteland. Right. And that there's a pleasure in that, right? Like generations of English professors have lived off the pleasure of interpreting difficult texts. And I wonder to what extent, this is part of what's happening also with QAnon, because I'm going to read 
a passage that you quote in the book for like the second QAnon post that is like, to me, read like modernist poetry. So here it is. Mockingbird. HRC detained, not arrested. Yet. Where's Huma? Follow Huma. This has nothing to do with Russia. Yet. Why does POTUS surround himself with generals? What is military intelligence? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why go around the three-letter agencies? All right, I'm not going to read any more than that. <laughs> but, but to what extent is this like a form of like high school English interpretation? You know, like but for for people who are who are far far right. I think that's a great point. I mean, I I, I think it's a very similar interest. I mean, I remember sitting in in eighth grade or you know in high school class with one of those giant uh, you know Norton anthologies and flipping through the wasteland, uh, and you know you see all the footnotes and what have you. I think so much of the pleasure and and it gets. I mean, that's one of the more comprehensible ones. I mean, it gets deep. There are references to books in QAnon, to, uh, plenty of movies. They love talking about really random movies, um, and so I, I think it is that joy of what they call it the decoding or. They the baking because they they say they're putting together these breadcrumbs, and I I think that is the I mean it's sort of like a treasure hunter. It's a you know they're going through all the, these de, these uh, these illusions. Um, I think uh, also I mean it really am I losing my train of thought here? I think I did. Uh, but, but, well, you but, say but, but, in there that that there's a meaning behind all of those lines that I read that don't mean anything to me. Like for instance, Mockingbird ten thirty seventeen. I don't know what that means, but you say that there is a meaning for that. You know, like that's yeah, so, a, that's so, an illusion. So, yeah, so let's talk about Mockingbird. It, 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 that's a great example. So that is that could mean so many things, right? Well, I, I think generally most QAnon believers would say that is a reference to the CIA's Operation Mockingbird, which was something in the 60s in which some newspaper columnists were on the CIA payroll. The implication being, you know, that the CIA now controls the media. And so it is one of these, these sort of... Um, I think Mockingbird is a great example of it because it is this... Um, it sounds pretty and it, it you know, it, 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 what does it mean, you know, and, and it... Uh, there's something. Oh, the other thing I would add about it is, um, like some of these these great poems you're mentioning, you can have such wildly different interpretations. And so I think part of the appeal of QAnon is that people can say, well, this is about Operation Mockingbird, or they could say, um, you know, here's a picture of Hillary Clinton at a at a bird sanctuary, and maybe it's about that. I mean, th there's all these different layers you can do do to it, and often I think they just have fun arguing about it, and and sort of you know you you can there's no real one interpretation. Yeah, it's true, Whitney. I I did not see that transition coming. Um, and maybe <laughs> if we had fun, maybe if we had funded the humanities a little bit better, these people would have something else to do. They could all be uh, English majors, and then they would be they would be looking at Wall Stevens is so much more useful. In the room, <laughs> the women come and go, talking about like who the fuck knows what. <laughs> That's proof rock. <laughs> <laughs>
I, I mean, it's a great example. I, I mean, there are a lot of sort of failed, uh, I think, people with humanities aspirations involved in QAnon. In the book, I talk about a guy who's a failed screenwriter uh, who sort of instead turns his his powers towards creating these QAnon worlds. So the reach and influence of QAnon, you mentioned before, like kind of the identity or the theorizing behind who Q, this this great um, this great poet is. And there was a book written in 1999 by a group of Italian activist prankers, pranksters titled Q that has some similar motifs. What do you think that book's connection to QAnon is and, and how does how does that play into any of your theories? Yeah, this is really cool. This is uh, I love how y'all are getting into the, the literary aspects of it. Um, as you said, I mean, there is this uh, there's this group and now they're called the Wu Ming Foundation. Um, I'm not sure what their, their title was at the time, but this was a group of these 90s pranksters in Italy, these left wing kind of anarchists, and they would stage these sort of like, I don't know if you would call them happenings. I mean, these weird hoaxes, they would stage, you know, satanic events in their cities, or they would, um, I think they had like an orangutan that they claimed, you know, could speak English, and it would travel the the, the continent, and it was all a hoax. I mean, all this fun stuff. And they wrote this book uh, called Q, which was about uh, the Reformation and this, uh, this character who's sort of being chased across Europe by an inquisitor. And so initially, you know, and, and there, there were, there's codes in it and some cryptic aspects. And so, you know, some reporters said, well, this is obviously about, you know, this is the inspiration for QAnon. You know, I think it would later turn out to just be that, you know, we have 26 letters in the alphabet and Q is used in both of these. <laughs> um, but 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 it was interesting talking to, to these guys who were behind this and saying, you know, obviously, you know, we're not behind QAnon and, you know, this really has nothing to do with with what, how we see things. But it, it nevertheless, I mean, there were the, this echo of, of, of this idea. I mean, some similar aspects of these kind of um, these kind of arch sort of medieval or or the, the, the these great debates about religion, you know, that I think now we see refracted in, in this kind of very uh, modern way in QAnon. Don't we sort of know who Q is now? I mean, haven't there been some fairly credible accusations about who, who that is? And if, if so, could you outline that for our listeners who might not have been following that story? Absolutely. And so, you know, this is obviously the first question people have is who's Q? And so I think it's laid out pretty comprehensively in the HBO documentary Q Into the Storm. Um, the best argument I've seen, I don't think we've nailed it down 100%, but I think it's pretty solid, is that Q is run by a brother or excuse me, a father and son duo named uh, Ron and Jim Watkins, who run this anonymous website called 8chan out of the Philippines. And that essentially they hijacked QAnon because they love stirring up internet mischief and uh, promoting conspiracy theories. And that, I mean, you know, it's worth noting that they deny this, but but I think um, in this documentary, one of them more or less confesses. Uh, so that mystery, I think, is is essentially solved. Uh, but, you know, QAnon keeps rolling forward and, and the believers say, well, maybe Q was a guy in his mom's basement, effectively. But what he taught us is real. And, you know, what we've learned uh, that that the stuff about the adrenochrome and the dungeons, what have you, that's all legitimate. Yeah, we want to talk about that, the sort of cottage industry, and you talk about this as well, that is particularly the literary cottage industry that's around the QAnon phenomenon. So, you know, people are creating content based off this original two guys who probably wrote the, the posts. And there's been at least one Amazon bestseller, Suki and I, I, I can't speak for Suki, I've never had an Amazon bestseller, although I write books, it's very hard. So how did they pull this off? 
Yeah, I mean, it is it, one thing covering the, the right and the right wing media is fascinating how much money goes into it. And really, you know, you mentioned here the the case of this QAnon bestseller. I mean, this was, you know, any sort of aspiring author, you, you're always checking the Amazon charts and, you know, dreaming of being at number 15 or number one, what have you. Uh, and certainly in this case, I mean, people were like, reporters were looking at the Amazon charts and they said, huh, you know, there's like a QAnon book at number 10 right there. And so this was a group of QAnon conspiracy theorists who were among sort of the first QAnon promoters. And they got together one day and said, you know, our websites are too hard to understand. Why don't we just publish this all in a book? And I got to say, having read the book, it's not a very good book, right? <laughs> you know, it's a bunch of, if you Damn imagine, <laughs> right. So, so I, I wouldn't recommend it for a, for a lit hub pick. Uh, but you know, if you take a bunch of internet posts and compile them, uh, it's really hard to read, but they nevertheless, I mean, it, they made easily, I would say, hundreds of thousands of dollars off of it. Um, and then, you know, as you often have with co-authors, there was a falling out, you know, arguments over who was getting money, the rights and a sequel, all this stuff. But it, it, it is fascinating to see them sort of participate in the, the regular book industry. Um, another QAnon promoter was able to raise more than $200,000 to crowdfund one of his books. And again, not, a, not an instant classic, but, uh, but it sold a lot of copies as well. So where does that kind of fall into, I mean, we've seen people debate things like, you know, should publishers be buying memoirs or books by political figures who have pushed theories that are obviously untrue? Are these like, are these QAnon books or this QAnon book in particular, like, is this, this is self-published? Like this is what kinds of, like, are these, these people are not sending out agent query letters. <laughs> right. I mean, in this case, the in, in the case of this best-selling one, this was uh, there, there was, I, I believe she was in Mexico. There was an American expat in Mexico who was somehow familiar with how publishing works and was able to sort of cobble together this self-published book for these QAnon people and get it up there. Um, so, yes, as you said, this was not a, a big five uh, publication. So, Still, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, Wallace Stevens like, never made $200,000 off of the Emperor of Ice this Cream, is, I this don't is, think. This is kind of what I mean, right? Like, if it is so lucrative, when is the moment that the big five are going to be like, well, we we kind of we need the money? Um, like, where is the where does the where is that line drawn? You know, I mean, certainly you you do see. I mean, it, it, I think publishers engaging in publishing conspiracy theories. I mean, I, I think QAnon is it was a bit too far, and certainly after I think there was this backlash for Amazon having this book, and so they they delisted it. Um, and ultimately, even for my book, we had to make clear, for example, with the subtitle that this was not a pro QAnon book, because that was a concern from some vendors was that you have a big old Q on it, you know, and it says the book is called Trust the Plan. And so they, they wanted to make clear. And, you know, if you're sitting on the subway that people won't think you're a QAnon believer if you're reading it. OK, we're going to take a short break here and we'll be right back. That's that also seems to pose probably some challenges for the cover designer. Um, yes. So there are a number of opportunistic grifters in this QAnon space. And in the book, you talk about a guy that QAnon believers think is JFK Jr., which you which you mentioned. Um, and he's someone even wrote this comic book where he's the hero. Um, more literature. Yeah. Is this <laughs> we count graphic novels as literature now, is, don't we? Is the comic book good? No. Um, again, you know, I, I think we're still waiting for that QAnon classic that, that's going to emerge from this. Uh, but but no, it is not. I mean, the amount of, uh, you know, to be frank, Drek, I had to go through for this book because often, you know, the insights people offer when they're writing these books are very interesting. I mean, well, often they're sort of telling their stories of how they came to QAnon or what role it filled in their life, but they think it's a great thing. And so for me, I mean, it's, it, it's invaluable to go through this stuff. But again, I mean, I, I really would skip this uh, this comic book okay 
All right. So you did mention this guy earlier. We we're going to have you read to us a short passage about um, Robert Cornero, who's a yeah. failed screenwriter who was a and former grocery and grocery store clerk who founded uh, who found an outlet in QAnon. Uh, and those are the people. That's the guy who that who uh, his followers crowdfunded to write a book, gave him 160k advance, which is not really not bad. Um, would you read that passage to us? Then we'll talk about it afterward. Yeah. So, so you know, I'm talking here about this guy who became a sort of prominent QAnon promoter, um, and was was fascinating to me because, and, and I think is especially relevant for this podcast because, unlike a lot of them, he could he could write, uh, you know, to, to some extent, and so, uh, so so he really was able to sort of imbue, sort of a, as we're going to find, sort of a, a place as a sort of kind of classic uh, loser uh, and become kind of a big QAnon star uh, through the power of writing. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. To the people who knew him in the real world in the spring of 2018, Robert Cornero seemed to be going nowhere. In his early 30s, he lived with his parents and had just lost a position as a grocery store clerk in the same New Jersey strip mall where he got his first job in middle school. The height of drama in Cornero's life had been a feud with his bosses over whether he could run the store's frozen food section. He met a woman online who lived thousands of miles away in Canada, but she dumped him after her father called him a loser. When Cornero turned on his computer, though, he was a star. Tens of thousands of people were waiting to hear what he had to say. Just by setting up a website in February 2018, Robert Cornero had become Neon Revolt, a powerful QAnon blogger able to shape how millions of people saw the world. Before, Cornero's life had been in a long-term decline. His troubles began in his last months at a prestigious medical high school in 2004, when he tried to impress a girl by listing the ways he would murder his classmates. Police raided Cornero's locker. He was banned from prom. In his final years in high school, Cornero developed a fascination with movies. The passion grew, Cornero claimed, after a doctor told him he was too handsome to work in medicine, urging him to go to Hollywood instead. After narrowly avoiding prosecution in the shooting threat incident, Cornero moved to Los Angeles to sell his screenplays. But as with so many hopefuls before him, Hollywood success eluded Cornero. He scored some minor accolades, winning second place in an online screenwriting contest with an action comedy script he billed as Clerks meets Army of Darkness. But Cornero felt like a failure in a town that, as far as he could see, was full of winners. While rival screenwriters earned accolades, Cornero was stuck in LA traffic driving a car with a broken air conditioner. So then we introduced this character called Franklin Leonard, who is the creator of the Hollywood Blacklist, which is a, a list of unproduced screenplays that um, is very influential, stuff like Slumdog Millionaire has been on it. Um, and so for Cornero, this was sort of seen as the, the gold standard, if only he could make this list uh, put out by Franklin Leonard. Back to the book here. Leonard, who often spoke about using the Blacklist to promote diversity in Hollywood, was a symbol of the forces that Cornero thought had stopped him from succeeding even though the two men never had any inter direct interaction. The industry, even during that time, had grown increasingly hostile to straight white men, Cornero recalled later. In time, Cornero gave up on Los Angeles and moved back to his New Jersey hometown, but he still seized at the industry that had rejected him. At one point, he tweeted that someone should burn the whole degenerate town down. With seemingly endless amounts of time to spend on the internet after his grocery store shifts, Cornero cycled through political ideologies. He embraced Ron Paul's libertarian presidential bids, then moved on to Gamergate. 
All of his rage at his Hollywood failures pushed him onto 4chan in 2014, frequenting a place where users attempted to radicalize one another into extremist ideologies with what they called red pills. They would show each other a depressing, often skewed statistic, say the long odds millennials face to buy a home, or figures purporting to show that the deck was stacked against white men. The posts were meant to make people angry, and they worked on Cornero. I was surrounded by a vampiric culture of death, knee deep in the dead, and I was determined to fight my way out, even if I had to slog through the bowels of hell to get there, Cornero recalled later. Inspired by 4chan, Cornero launched a Facebook page to share more negative memes. Soon, Cornero recalled, he had 70,000 followers and 4chan's nihilism coursing through my veins. Cornero was delighted by how quickly he had seized some level of internet prominence and devoted himself to making more memes. A frequent 4chan user, Cornero encountered Q in its earliest days, shortly after losing his job at the grocery store. Cornero started posting on 4chan about QAnon, attracting more fans to his page. When Facebook banned Neon Revolt, Cornero moved to a group on the far-right social network Gab and launched his Neon Revolt blog, which soon became a hub for QAnon activity. As his fame grew, Cornero started crowdfunding to publish a book about his QAnon ideas. His eager fans donated nearly $160,000 to the cause, expecting to hear his proof that QAnon was real and that the storm would soon arrive. What they may not have anticipated were dozens of pages about Cornero's own life and his radicalization from little-known frozen food clerk to QAnon figurehead. Cornero stood out among QAnon promoters because he could write more than a few dozen words at a time. His Neon Revolt persona succeeded where his Hollywood scripts had failed. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is the first time and I've been able to read it out loud, so that's fun. It's and it's and it's great. I mean, I you know we're talking about all of this, all of this QAnon produced dreck, and I'm so happy that we also get to showcase your fabulous book. Thank you. So as much as I distrust QAnon, um, I can definitely identify with how painful it is when your writing is not accepted or recognized. And how much of QAnon's appeal is just as a refuge for people who feel rejected by mainstream society? I feel like I hear, right, there's so much in there that also connects to other topics we've discussed on the show or just where, you know, you ask kind of, here are people who feel disenfranchised. Like, is it rural people? Is it white people? Is it men? Is it... Uh, the Republican Party, like, just how does this kind of fit into that? And and what does it mean if you if you feel yourself boxed out of something like a competitive skill like screenwriting? How is this opening up a parallel? I'm not sure that it's exactly parallel um, avenues to success. Sure. I mean, excuse me. Um, the I, I think QAnon often appeals to people uh, who feel marginalized, rightly or wrongly. I mean, they feel that they're not being respected. And, and sometimes that's because they have real problems in their lives. And sometimes it's, they feel that, you know, maybe they're a white man. And they feel that, uh, as in the case of, of Robert Cornero there, that they that they are sort of being denied something because uh, minorities have, have taken it from them. Um, and so QAnon gives them a, a sort of meaning to their lives. I mean, even if you're living a relatively comfortable uh, perhaps mundane life, uh, QAnon offers you a chance to really rise above your station. It, 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 they call themselves digital soldiers. I mean, so that rather than goofing off online, suddenly this becomes, you know, you're in an army and you're saving the children, uh, you know, just by by posting, frankly. I mean, you know, and, and uh, ideally they keep it there. I mean, sometimes they take it much more seriously and more violently. Um, but but the, it, it, I, I think it gives people a meaning. Um, you know, we were talking about the, the clue aspect of it. I mean, that they can really dive into. I mean, they call it going down the rabbit hole. And so you sort of go into this whole new world. And, and, and I think it, um, particularly for, for the leaders of it, I, I think it gives them a lot of prestige that they really would never have enjoyed in their normal lives. So just I as mean, you're you talking, can... I'm thinking about my friend Dave Farenthold covers, covered, uh, yeah, covered 
covered Trump and and he mobilized like through social media, all of these people who were also doing kind of like puzzle making, right? And detective work kind of in this collaborative way. It's like, what makes someone go that way versus this way? Like, you know, you could be the person who's like, oh, I, I spotted the painting of Trump in this in this, um, in this this space. This is what you're looking for. Um, or you could be the person who's like, you know, like I've seen the person drinking the blood of children. Like, I don't, why? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a great comparison. We really are sort of in that age of sort of crowdsourced intelligence, crowdsourced reporting. Um, you know, I, I think often the, the the kind of the classic QAnon believer is someone we think about uh, as a as a as a Trump rally goer. You know, they're whiter, they're older, they're more likely to be evangelical Christian. Um, that changed during the pandemic. You know, we saw a lot more women, um, you know, younger people, people of color getting into it. But I do think it's often sort of your your priors uh, that, 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 that direct you into QAnon. I mean, certainly a lot of people got into it because they were already involved in, um, in these very kind of charismatic churches where they thought like the devil's a real guy, is a real force. And suddenly you have this story sort of laying out how you too can, you know, fight satanic forces in the real world. Um, and that's just one example. I mean, it is, uh, you know, I mean, you know, so much respect for David's work. I think it's also a bit more appealing for people that think that they're, you know, gonna, I mean, there, there is also a, you know, I was gonna say that there's this sort of utopian aspect to QAnon that they think that, you know, it, once you help Donald Trump bring about this new world, I mean, all debts are gonna be abolished, diseases are gonna be cured. Uh, and so, so I think for a lot of people, there, there was also this very personal aspect of like, I am getting something out of this. Well, also, not everyone can be a screenwriter. I mean, it's an exceedingly competitive business, right? And so if you have someone, and the weird thing about writing is that everyone thinks they can do it because they can actually type. And that's all you, the only, you know, it's not like becoming a doctor, right? Um, and so you have someone who, rather than admit, like, I'm not good enough at this and try to figure out why, there's a convenient reason. Oh, it's because I'm white and, and the industry is biased against me, which is insane, of course, because, you know, there are a bit, you know, Hollywood is still dominated by white male writers. I mean, that's, you know, so that's really a positive for him, not a negative, right? But he can't admit to himself, this Robert Cornero guy you're reading about, that he's not good enough. And so he finds a parallel world where he can be good enough by having no talent because there's nobody really with talent competing there is what it seems like to me. Well, well, thank you for hitting on that. That that was the other thing I wanted to bring up. I mean, it is often sort of an explanation for for the misfortunes or the the you know, it, it, well, you, you, as you said, I mean, maybe this you know, it's just you, you couldn't cut it, and so this is an easy explanation for saying you know, well, I actually am that great, except uh, you know, the, the, these the cabal is against me. I mean, there's a lot of failed actors and musicians involved in QAnon as well, and for them, it's often they look at let's say someone who succeeded and they say, well, that guy had to join the cabal. I mean, I just I don't want to eat the kids. You know, and that's why they couldn't, uh, you know, why I don't have success and this person does. So if you are the person whose kid is in the basement crusading, uh, you've got a tough task. And, and in the book, you write about the personal and emotional costs that families go through trying to get a loved one to give up on QAnon. And in particular, you share some correspondence you had with a father dealing with a son deep into QAnon. Could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I mean, for me, this is one of the um, sort of the the most under the 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 least visible tragedies of QAnon, which are, which is just these families and relationships that are just destroyed by it. Um, in this case, I, I followed a family for a year as their son, who was in his twenties, gets into QAnon, and, and essentially, this father had reached out to me and said, um, "You know, how do I get my kid out of QAnon? I mean, he's getting really into it." Uh, and, you know, this person who I thought I knew who was just, you know, my wonderful son uh, is, you know, slipping into unreality. 
And in this case, you know, it started with him saying, you know, dad, I just want you to know they're going to be arresting some some uh, celebrities soon. And he said, oh, OK, well, as long as it's not Tom Selleck, ah, I like Magnum P.I. Uh, and then, you know, it, it, it accelerated from there. I mean, his son sort of stayed inside all, t- all the time, just Googling about QAnon um, and, you know, started arguing with his parents and, you know, saying, you know, why can't you see how obvious this is that QAnon is real and all this? Um, and it's really a tragic story. I mean, and, and I think, unfortunately, it's, it's played out really uh, across the country. There are a good number of books and articles out there on how to deal with a loved one who was sucked into the orbit of QAnon. What is your advice? And is it possible to extract someone from this? It's really tough. I mean, and and it is, I think, sort of the, the person often has to rescue themselves. I mean, it's from the ex-QAnon believers I talk to, they have, there's always sort of an idiosyncratic thing that one particular bit of Q evidence that they really placed all their faith in. And then when that is disproven, um, you know, that, uh, for example, they might say that, well, Donald Trump tweeted at 217 and Q is the 17th number of the alphabet. And then when you show them all the times he tweets that it's not 17 minutes on the hour, then, you know, that, that shakes them. I mean, it is, it is such strange stuff because it is such a strange belief system um you know the unfortunately there really is not a step-by-step guide that i think works i think the only advice is to um you know evaluate how much you care about this relationship if it's a random person on facebook you can probably move on with your life Um, but of course if it's a spouse or a relative you probably want to stick with them um and to just try to get them offline as much as possible uh, which is you know easier said than done uh, in the age of smartphones but um to sort of hopefully at, at best move them on to a non-QAnon obsession. You know, I mean, in the case of this family, you know, the once the son got a girlfriend uh, and, you know, once he got into Bigfoot, he at least uh, sort of uh, it started to move on from QAnon. Oh, those were the days when Bigfoot was what people did conspiracy theories about. So much more innocent. Well, Will, thanks so much for joining us. I'm a fan of your, co- your podcast, Fever Dreams, which you co-host with Kelly Weil. And we encourage our listeners to go out and pick up Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon, and The Conspiracy That Unhinged America, which is out now. Thanks for having me. That's it for the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast. This episode was produced by Shree Brizendine. Our theme music is composed by Travis Workman. You can subscribe to us by typing fiction slash non slash fiction into the search bar of your favorite podcast app. And please go give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen, find previous episodes, and read excerpts from our interviews at the Literary Hub website, lithub.com, where the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast page is listed under the LitHub Radio tab. We'll post a link to the books we referenced this week on Facebook at FNFPod, on Twitter at FNFTalk, and on Instagram at fiction.non.fiction.podcast. You can also find video of this interview at our own fiction nonfiction podcast youtube channel our igtv channel and on our website at fnfpodcast.net where if you're an educator and want to use our podcast in the classroom or if you're just a cool person our back episodes are grouped by topic areas we'll provide links to all this stuff in the show notes and we'll be tweeting and posting about it during the week happy reading